The following podcast is an Embassy Row production. Even if you're in a long-term relationship, the moment when you peel off your clothes, like that communicates to your partner, like here's this time I put into myself today. You know, here's the the level of boldness. Here's the kind of activity that I want to engage in, right? Because if I peeled off your clothes and you've got on some leather harnesses, I'm like, okay, like it's a different kind of game plan going on here. Hi, my half-naked listeners. The episode today is a very intimate one. Shan Budram is in fact an intimacy educator, and we talk about our sexual pasts. I really opened up in this episode, and that can be hard to do, especially when talking about something so vulnerable, but that's what this show is all about, breaking down taboos and allowing vulnerability in so we can grow. Shan blends sexology and psychology, and she also talks really open and honestly about her life and her relationships. There's so much information in this episode. We talk about the difference between foreplay and core play. She offers activities and questions for you and your partner to work effectively in a relationship and turn each other on. I really enjoyed my conversation with Shan. She taught me some stuff about how we as sexual beings respond to sex and connection and how to keep things stimulating. Please welcome Shan Boudram to the Half Naked Podcast. Listen up, my cheeky listeners. I want to tell you about a lingerie line I am loving right now called The Under Argument. And now until the end of May, you can get 20% off with code HALFNAKED. Each collection for The Under Argument is an argument against the norm. This female-owned line showcases different types of women in their campaigns with unretouched, unedited images, which I love. And each piece is named and labeled after an empowering quote to remind the wearer to embrace their individuality. A favorite of mine is the long line triangle bra with the high waist brief. The bra is stunning and is perfect for underwear or outerwear. Check out the under argument and for the month of May, you'll get 20% off with code half naked. Shan, thank you so much for coming on Half Naked. Thank you for having me, Christine. It's a joy. I would love to picture you in your underwear. Could you please tell me what kind of underwear you're wearing right now? I'm fully dressed. I really (laughs) messed up already. God damn it. It's chilly in LA today. That's why. Mm -hmm. Which means like 73 degrees. So cold over here. Uh, But I am wearing a maternity bra and I am wearing black. I believe they're Calvin Klein's. Yes, I'm wearing black, like basic Calvin Klein underwear. Yeah, you're in comfy mom mode. I am in comfy mom mode. It is. That is the truth. I wish I, I honestly, now there's so many regrets coming into this and a big <laughs> one is not showing up in my best lingerie. Well, I do have to say, I am very interested in maternity bras because I know, or I've heard that they're cuter than they have been before. What kind of maternity bra are you Oh, wearing I got to right just now? show you. I mean, okay. I oh, am I getting blast right now? Okay. I wouldn't say it's cuter. They're actually, I would say this, maternity bras and underwear are a must for everyone. It is just logical. They're more comfortable than sports bras and a little bit more supportive. Like you feel very held, but the material is nice. And so they can soft. fit under some clothes. The underwear though is the real deal. Holy feel. Because the underwear is designed in a V formation so that it doesn't cut into your belly. But like all of us have a motherfucking belly. So I don't want a band that's going across. And then when I have a delicious meal now, I'm like, I can feel my underwear. So (laughs) 
everybody <laughs> needs to get themselves at least a pack of maternity underwear. Like, and they're very cute because they're cut like in this like like, sexy bikini line. Yes. That is hot. It's really cute. Yeah. Hail to the V, right? Like that's like the whole thing. I think that's, that seems pretty great. Yes. Well, what are you wearing now that we have to ask? I'm wearing a set by negative underwear. It's a really, really comfortable line. It's like very minimal. The underwear is just all cotton, but it has, it's a thong cut, actually <laughs> not wearing a bra. <laughs> oh, so it's not a set then, girl. It's a, oh, no, you're wearing sorry, a sorry. piece of fabric. On I was actually head. not going to say that I wasn't wearing a bra. And then I'm like, no way, I'm not wearing a bra. So I'm just okay. Gonna... <laughs> I was going to lie. Then I'm like, this video no, is I'm sponsored by. <laughs> So I want to, a lot of what I love talking on the show is about taboo subjects, because I think it's so much a part of the human experience and you are all about the taboo. You're a sex educator, a couple's counselor. I mean, you do it all. You are described or you're self-described as Dr. Ruth meets Rihanna, which I love. Thank you. Could you tell me how you got into the space and what compelled you to, to be a part of it? Yeah. In essence, I feel like for me, it was just returning back to what I originally knew. I think we're often toted about purpose as this thing you've got to go out there and find and discover. You got to discover your purpose. But if you really ask yourself, actually, let me ask you this question, Christine. When you were a kid, like what was your earliest memory of what you wanted to be when you grew up? I wanted to be an actress. And now I am a, I'm an actress. There we go. Yeah. It's so fascinating when you ask people that question, how many people are like, it's yeah, true. maybe when yeah. you were eight, you were like, I want to be an astronaut. And yeah. maybe or you're like not an astronaut now. Right. right. I, uh, I do. Like, I mean, I was obsessed with Pinocchio as a kid. Like it was my favorite Disney movie. And I think, I mean, he was Italian. Maybe that's why I'm Italian, <laughs> but Pinocchio sings all the time in actor's life for me. So you would like look at all these videos of me as a kid at like three, four years old, just running around singing in actor's life for me. That's so cool. Do you want to sing it right now for nostalgic reasons? <laughs> Hi, diddly D. <laughs> an actor's life for me. <laughs> I didn't even know that that was a tune. I only know when you wish upon a star. Like that's the classic from Pinocchio. That's a good one. Yeah. My jam right now is Moana. That's my favorite Disney movie. But so wait, as a kid, you wanted to be a sex therapist? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's exactly where I was going. No, I genuinely was extremely fascinated by the human body. Not in an age inappropriate way in my understanding, because one, I was fascinated by my own body. And then two, I just wanted to learn. And I loved physical touch was my love language from a kid. Oh, wow. And I feel like that natural interest that I had really frightened my parents. And I always tell the story that my Barbies just never had clothes on it. Like they were always naked. And I don't just mean like in the bedroom, they were at the grocery store naked. Like it was a normal part of life. So when I started to actually engage in it, when I turned 16, I had really negative experiences, like one after the other, after the other. And by 19 years old, I was at this crossroad where I thought to myself, all right, either everybody was right. And this is a really bad part of life that I've made a mistake in trying to engage in, or I just don't know what I'm doing. So I gave myself the benefit of the doubt and just self-educated myself for a summer and read every Dr. Ruth book and every Masters and Johnson's book and Mama Gina's School of Womanly Arts and The Sensuous Woman, like all of these like vintage books about sexuality. And I found that there was great information out there, but I also acknowledge that unless you got to the place that I did and you were really activated to take charge of your own education, you would never find these books. Mm -hmm. So I thought to myself, there's got to be somebody who's making this information more accessible to the people who need it the most. Yeah, that's interesting. And I'm very curious as to your relationship and your 
with your parents and your household, because given how you describe as you were as a child, I would imagine your parents were like nudists or something, but it doesn't seem like they were. It seems like it was kind of the opposite. Well, you mentioned having bad experiences. Was it through just watching porn where you, did you feel desensitized or were there relationships that you got into that were unhealthy? I feel like the word relationship in your teen is an aspirational word. Mm -hmm. Just situationships. It was just literally, I think I had like seven sexual partners and then zero orgasms. I had lost touch with my body. I didn't know what I liked. I felt like it was my duty if somebody Mm -hmm. liked me to have sex with them. I felt like if they gave me their time, I remember my my first sexual experience was just a guy that I saw that I I was away. uh, I used to run track and field. And so I was away in Hungary on a track meet. And this guy was really attractive. And I was like, Hey, I want to take a picture of you. And so he was like, Oh, I take a picture of you too. I'm like, great. Let me go get my camera. He's like, okay, I'll come with you. And he ended up coming back to my hotel room. And because I had this really cute guy there, he started kissing me. I was like, I guess we have to have sex now. Mm. So there was always this Mm -hmm. expectation that like, Mm -hmm. Oh, like I've made you come all this way. Might as well give you the pussy. People, this is, I'm, I did not know this conversation was going to go this way, but I want to talk about this because women, I think especially are so eager to not make awkward situations or make anybody feel uncomfortable. So we do things because we don't want to make an awkward situation. So where you should have said, no, man, like, this is not what I'm here for. This is instead of making the situation awkward, we go ahead and do it anyway. And I think that this is something I know I've had in my life many times. And I just would love to say to young women that you can say no, you know? I also think a really big one is value your time, value your presence. That also came from me thinking, oh, if you've come to hang out with me, me being kind to you and making jokes and being interesting and being interested in you is not enough. That if you leave this experience without my body, you're going to look back and be like, I wasted my time. That was just a lack of self-confidence in what I had to offer as an individual aside from my body. But you were able to gain your confidence back, educate yourself, and Mm -hmm. then become this master where you're spreading knowledge in a way that's relatable and through your own experience and you know, you're on every single platform doing it, which I think is incredible. The end, wrap that shit up in a bow. <laughs> That's exactly what happened next. Yes. <laughs> what was, what did happen next? How That's did you? A, I mean, more or less, like it was a process of education and uneducating myself based on the misinformation that I had given. And it, it wasn't linear though. I mean, it, it took a long time. And I always tell the story that I feel like by age 24, I started sex education on myself at 19. By 24, my first book laid came out. And by that time, I felt a lot more control and confidence in that area. And then it wasn't until I was 28, 29 that I was like, okay, well, I'm having great sex, but my relationships are in shambles. And then I started to really dive into that portion. So, so much of my work is really informed by my own tragedies and mishaps. I think that's what's best, right? Like you're able to share through your own experiences and in a way that's real because you've literally experienced it. And I think that's like the best way to help people. When did it turn around for you and how did it turn around for you? My first sexual relationship was with a guy, a boy, when I was a teenager and it was incredibly abusive, like incredibly sexually, verbally abusive. And it was, it went on for a long time. Like I was with this guy for maybe three years and and I lost my virginity to him. And I tell that story because I think that it's something that never happened again to me. 
because I wouldn't let that happen again. I was so out of my own body. And I mean, I, I can't even recognize the young girl that did that. And not to say I had healthy relationships after that, but I think in terms of like from a sexual point, I would not let that happen to me again. And I did a lot of work, I think, talking about it with my partners after that, that um, you know, my sexual relationships with men were better after the first one. There was a lot of reasons why I thought he, I mean, I know that he was dealing with a lot of emotional things, but he was also really heavily into porn. Mm -hmm. And I think his expectation is was young, you know, we were young kids. He was really into video games and porn. And I think that really changed his relationship to sex. I, you know, I said earlier, like it really desensitized him where like he had these expectations of me through things that he saw that were incredibly unrealistic. And when you're like a young girl and a young guy and like, you know, the first time you're having sex and to have that be your level of expectation in some way, I think that's, I mean, that was really damaging. So I worry about like porn and kids and everything that's going on now because I know how easy it is for them to watch things that are not healthy or not a very sure representation of sex. For sure. I mean, yeah. the great thing about that though, is that there's a lot more options when it comes to porn. Mm -hmm. I feel like whenever people say like porn is bad, they're speaking about mainstream. And mm -hmm. I spoke oh, with this totally. director once and she had this incredible quote that I love to say. She said, anything that you're getting for free, hmm. you gotta be curious about. Like if they were handing out free hot dogs on the street, wouldn't you be like, why are these hot dogs free? Like what's in them? There was this great documentary just came on. It was about just internet and social media, the social dilemma. And there was a quote in the social dilemma that said, if you do not pay for the product, you are the product. And mm -hmm. I thought that was really interesting. You know, like they are selling or using your data or your time or whatever it is. I don't know how that could connect to the porn industry, but I thought that was an interesting concept. Oh, I'm sure it does. Mm -hmm. So you were able to get in your own body gain that confidence. And I love to talk about confidence and freedom in the body as it relates to our intimate apparel. What is your relationship with intimate apparel? I think that it's an incredible way to communicate how you feel about yourself and how you want people to interact with you. Clothing is a language, really. It's, it's a form of showing people who you want them to see you as before they have an opportunity to make a judgment. So I, I think it's it's really the, the ultimate first impression. And obviously, even in terms of like introducing someone to your intimate body, mm -hmm. intimate apparel is also like a first impression. Like, here's how I'm feeling today. Even if you're in a long-term relationship, the moment when you peel off your clothes, like that communicates to your partner, like, here's this time I put into myself today, you know, here's the, the level of boldness. Here's the kind of activity that I want to engage in. Right. Cause if I peeled off your clothes and you've got on some leather harnesses, I'm like, okay, like there's a different kind of game plan going on here. So I, I love it. I have tons of intimate apparel. Um, I have a, a deal right now with Savage Fenty, which has yeah. been such an incredible opportunity for me to dive back in because I hadn't bought for so long. And I had the same stuff that I was using over and over again, which ended up being not that bad because when I was pregnant, I um, had a lot of like full fishnet bodysuits and I hadn't worn them that much. While you were pregnant? Oh, well, I had them from before. Yeah. But it was when I was pregnant that I was really putting them into use because really? it just, it allowed me to still feel sensual. I yeah. think that if the belly was like the focal point, but it was like, hey, I feel like tight and I feel wrapped. I feel like a little kinky Christmas present. That's when those came back into my life really heavily. But afterwards, 
it was like just filling myself up with options because I had to re-get to know my body and re-get to know how I wanted to show up as a sexual person. And so just having an opportunity to get sent tons of lingerie each month and then picking out my favorite two to three pieces, it was really a great and beautiful process for me. Yeah, I, that's interesting. I mean, and this is all post-pregnancy you're talking about, right? Where exactly, they were yeah. Saying, yeah, I, how did you feel in your body during pregnancy? I mean, I love the, the fishnet thing. Fishnets are very flattering, by the way. They like so really, flattering. really elongate the legs. Like we, fishnets are like considered a little kinky, but I don't think so. Maybe that's just how I like to dress. I am from Staten Island and we, we, we are a little... <laughs> tacky there, but I, I love that. That's, that's really hot. That's cool. But how did post-pregnancy, how did you feel in your body as everything was still in that changing process or trying to go back to whatever you consider normal or your new normal? Right? Oh yeah. I think one of my favorite quotes of all time is the Steve job quotes of you can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect them looking backwards. You can only really understand your journey after you've you have the benefit of hindsight. So it's hard in pregnancy period because you just don't know what's going to come next or what's going to become of you. You're not sure if after you're pregnant and you've got really dark skin on your stomach, like seven shades darker than the rest of your body, if that's your new normal, you don't know if your Linnea Negra is going to be, you know, that forever, or if your belly button's ever going to recover. So it takes a lot of just loving and meeting yourself where you are which is a really big thing that I often tell people. I think it's so much more important to be honest about your insecurities than to pretend they don't exist. And what I mean by that is like, if your belly button bothers you and you know that if you look down in an intimate moment and see it, it's gonna turn you off or make you feel self-conscious, put on a teddy where that's gonna be covered up. Like meet yourself where you are. Don't pretend mm -hmm. or force yourself to be this level of confidence. It doesn't really fit how you feel on the inside. And I think when you do that, you just start one, enjoying intimacy more, two, enjoying intimate time more. And you'll be surprised how that level of self-care and confidence can manifest itself in behaviors that naturally, you know, change some of your insecurities if you want to. And even if you don't, at least now you actually enjoy sex. So mm -hmm. I think for me, a big part of that was being like, yep, like little stuff. Like my heels got really, really dry post-pregnancy. And so I'm like, I'm just, I wear socks to bed now. I don't want to hear my heels against the sheets. It always like takes me out. It makes me feel weird. So from now on, I just wear socks to bed <laughs> until I don't have to anymore. Yeah. I love that. Meeting yourself halfway. I really want to talk about foreplay. It's something that really interests me. I know that I, I watched a video with you talking about it and foreplay as it relates to our day, our entire day, not just the moments right before sex how we could use it to feel, to, you know, not only turn our partner on, but to like turn ourselves on, you know, I think so much about underwear and lingerie is, is connected to that and not just in the bedroom. And I know Esther Perel, who I worship has oh, this whole, too. yeah, she's, <laughs> she has this whole workshop that she's promoting now about foreplay. I don't, I don't know what she's going to say about it, but I was interested to like sign up and to check it out. Oh, I got to do that too, actually. Yeah. Let me look at that right now. I just saw it on her Instagram. I think I have a unique definition of foreplay that I'm like trying to get people on board with, but every time that I do, it gets sticky. I actually just tried this last week on a, a show that I worked on, but I think it's really important to redefine foreplay so that it doesn't include things like oral or finger play. Mm. Anything that gets you off 
is not foreplay. That's core play. And so I think the problem though, is that foreplay can feel optional. So if we're having a quickie, for example, we forego foreplay. Now for many women, that usually means we forego the things that bring us to climax. We forego the things that we actually enjoy during sex. So I think it's a lot more healthy to look at it. Like foreplay is what gets me turned on and foreplay is what gets my body ready to engage with whatever my core play is. So people will be like, yeah, like foreplay for me is like, you know, kissing and touching and then, you know, rubbing on the genitals. And you're like, okay, well, like, is there a way that you can, cause foreplay essentially has to last anywhere from like 12 to 20 minutes. Some people up to 40 minutes for their body to become fully aroused. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be able to kiss and touch for 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. If you're in a long-term relationship, I mean, so you definitely have to expand it out to other activities that you like. Like for example, with my partner, like ball play is a big part of our foreplay. And for me, like Mons pubis or like the, the pubic hair mound is a big part of foreplay, like massaging that area, massaging my heels, like finding other erogenous zones, or like you mm-hmm. said, making the process of taking clothes off a lot slower. So we have to really broaden out our definition of foreplay because we have to give and take that time. And if you're making it like, yeah, like it's a little kiss, kiss, tickle, tickle, then that's going to take you 30 seconds. And now all of a sudden we're engaging with your primary sexual erogenous zones and you're not warmed up yet. And you're not really getting the full breadth of the experience or the benefits of foreplay. So Masterson Johnson has the sexual response cycle. And essentially it says like, there's arousal, then there's excitement slash plateau, then there's orgasm, then there's refractory period. So I feel like all the points in between leading up to climax are really where foreplay has to exist, which would mean that foreplay is two fourths of a sexual experience. Ah, wow. You did some math. That's why I got to take this Esther Perel course. I'm like, I didn't know what she's saying about this. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm fighting with people on it. Like I really do get into arguments with people. Why? Because they're so married to the idea that foreplay is oral. So they're like, I do foreplay. Mm. Like I give the person oral. And so then you're like, okay, the, but think about the way that you're framing that. You're framing it as like the appetizer of the meal. Like this is the prep work and we're preparing for what? Like penetration? Like do you get off of penetration? Like, no. Okay, well, like that's the language you're communicating to your partner when you're classifying what works best for you as like the, the pre-course. Mm-hmm. So I think just because we don't have enough language to describe what we like, we don't take the time to understand our bodies and all the various erogenous zones. Yeah. It can be very frustrating for people. Mm-hmm. And some people might have a hard time admitting what parts of their body get them off, whether it's like some people are into foot fetishes or certain parts of their body massaged. What is your advice for couples that are trying or newer couples that are really trying to explore each other's bodies to hit those zones that would be considered foreplay? Oh, I would say, I mean, to your point, like foreplay doesn't have to begin in the bedroom and it shouldn't. Mm. So I actually have a quiz on my website that's called the turn on trigger quiz. And similar to love languages, it's six different ways that people commonly find themselves getting turned on and they're different for each person. So identifying what that is for you, I think is a great first step because my husband, for example, is very environmental, which means if the space isn't clean, it doesn't smell good. He doesn't, he can't get into it where I don't give a fuck. I could have sex on dirty diapers and a porta potty in a porta potty. <laughs> as long as you looked me in the eye and you said to me, like, you are the hottest thing ever. I need to be inside you right now. Like that's my turn on trigger. When somebody expresses like unrelenting desire for me, 
And so if I did that to my husband and I just said to him, like, take off your pants, I've got to have you right now. And like, there was a stain on the ground. He'd be like, I do not want to do this. So (laughs) understanding that I think is a really big piece of the puzzle because you can't even activate somebody's sexual response cycle if they're not even in that headspace. So knowing that I think is step one. And then if you want to get to like the actual touching and figuring out what works for someone's body. I mean, I always say an incredible way is a full body massage. And then ask somebody like, just ask them to rate it. Like, is this a five zone for you? Is this a four zone in terms of pleasure and touch? And then you'll know what areas like are really erotic. Like my partner is like his hands are a really erotic space for him. And I wouldn't have known that unless we did that like exercise together. That's such a great, easy, very easy, fun exercise. It's almost like, am I getting hotter? Am I getting colder? Exactly. Yeah. What do you find are some of the most common questions people have about their sex lives. Oh, let me ask you, because this is something that you do as well. What comes up a lot for your audience? I think for my audience, you know, a lot of people that are single and I wanted to talk about people that are getting out into the dating world again, especially this summer, as people call it, it's the summer of fucks. <laughs> I don't know if you've heard that. I have not. You haven't? Oh no. Yes. Maybe that's just all over my Instagram, but <laughs> the summer of fucks, I think people, especially- What like, does that of, mean? It means like people are going to go crazy this summer. You know, oh. everyone's like heavily vaccinated. Like they haven't really been going out much. Bars are opening, restaurants are opening and people are going to like go out and meet people and fuck because the climate has changed so much in the world and people are just really kind of bent up and really wanting that connection with each other. But then that kind of goes in between their own belief of how long should they be waiting before they have sex? Would Mm -hmm. having sex be soon change the dynamic of the relationship? Would waiting too long make them go somewhere else? I mean, if your intention to go out there and have a summer of fucks, then you just do whatever works for you. And you're not, you're acknowledging that what you're after isn't connection or long-term connection. It's to feel alive and to feel in your body again. And we refer to that as a hoe phase, right? And I think everyone's gone through a hoe phase and is very grateful for their hoe phase in many ways, because you learn a lot, you explore, you have tons of great stories. It's fun. (laughs) Hopefully, you know, you leave in that experience unscathed, uh, both emotionally and physically. So protecting yourself is obviously very important. Advocating for consent and sexual health is obviously very important. If you're going to go through the summer of fucks, you have to really be an incredible communicator and also be very aware of your surroundings. That to be said, the question of like when to have sex with somebody, I always say like, if you care, it's better to err on the side of caution and prolong and until you get to a space where you feel like you have reached a level of vulnerability with that person, mm-hmm. where now the sex is an additive. Um, it doesn't become like the focal point. And so if it's an additive to the connection that you have, then that's the case. So I had sex with my uh, husband, like super early on. So I'm not toting this as like the best advice, Mm -hmm. but kind of the general one size fits all rule is unfortunately we are social animals. And so even though there's no great reproductive reason for this, a lot of people have been socialized to believe that if somebody gives it up fast, that they're not a quality partner. Um, and then not where they have someone being invested in. And that is hard for a lot of people to get out of their head, even though they're aware that there's it's complete bullshit. So I always tell people, if you're really worried about that and you want to meet somebody, uh, you see a long-term potential and you're concerned, waiting probably isn't going to hurt you, but engaging really fast might. Unless of course you've had enhanced conversations and you're like, oh, this person is really evolved and a feminist and very woke and we're on the exact same page and by all means completely go for it. But yeah, that would be my advice for that. What, what's your usual go-to? I do have this theory that people have, 
in their mind what kind of relationship they want to have with the other person, like kind of off the bat. So whereas if you do have sex immediately with them, it's not really going to matter. It's not going to change how they feel about you or if they want to be in a relationship. And if they do just want to fuck around with you and you do sleep with them right off the bat, like then they kind of move on. I think it's hard to get out of the box that maybe people or men, men tend to put women in. I think women could get out of the box. It's like, I don't want to date this guy or we're just like cooking up. And then you hook up after a few times and you're like planning your wedding. So I think like <laughs> I've, I've definitely been in that situation too. A friend of mine, she gave me this phrase once for this guy. This was a, a while ago that I was intimate with. And yeah, all of a sudden, like, I'm like really into this guy. Like, I don't know what happened. Like, he's totally not my type. And she's like, oh yeah. You've been digmatized. And I'm like, oh, yeah. Digmatized. (laughs) (laughs) And I just thought that was a really funny way of putting it. But yeah, I think it's true. I don't don't know if that's a hormonal thing. Oh, for sure. I always said to people, I mean, like, you've got to really be aware of your biological influences and be in control of them if you want to engage in casual sexual sexual relationships sexually. Just the same way that I wouldn't suggest a novice driver drive an Indy 500 car. I'd be like, just get a Prius. Like, just keep it simple. You're just getting started. And if you don't want to really gain the control and the knowledge and the awareness and the skill set there, that's completely fine. But I think a friends with benefits or a strictly sexual relationship is a pro move. So you really have to be aware of like what things like, for example, oxytocin, which is the bonding hormone Mm -hmm. is released most during post-sex cuddling. Mm. So if you know that you just want somebody as a sexual partner, orgasm does release some, but the thing that you should really try to avoid is post-sex cuddling. Afterwards, mm. you've got to leave the apartment or go and do something casual and friendship-like or invite other people into the space. So avoiding those like really intimate moments where you're like chest to chest and like hearing someone's heartbeat that probably can really help to make sure you can continue to compartmentalize that relationship. That's really beautiful. I will say the primitive or just the vulnerability of being with someone like that after sex, like that safe space, that's the bonding agent. So I need to set like a self timer on after sex and be like, gotta go. <laughs> oh, girl, you know what? I mean, I always tell the story myself and my um, now husband, we started out as fuck buddies. And I say fuck buddies, I don't even say friends of benefits because we were not friends. Genuinely, I just gotten out of a toxic relationship. I was on the fritz of being deported from America. I was not looking for anything long-term. I had so much inner work and I legally couldn't even work at the time. There was a lot happening in my life. And similarly, he had just moved to the neighborhood and he was like sleeping on a friend's couch. And neither one of us were in a place where we were like, we should try to build something together because we had to build ourselves up. So in order for that relationship to thrive, I had so many rules One, of course, big one. There was never going to be any sleepovers. Does that Mm. mean that we wouldn't finish having sex and then go and walk and get frozen yogurt? For sure. How did you meet him? Did you meet him? At a party, actually. He was throwing a party. We met through a mutual friend. And literally when I saw him, I was like, he would be the best revenge fuck. Like that was that good old fashioned feeling that I got. Just something about the way that he moved. And again, I was just out of this really heavy, um, unhealthy yeah. relationship. So I was like, if I'm going to have sex with somebody coming out of this scenario to like really get myself back on the horse, like that's going to be the guy. <laughs> uh, and it took a year after that thought for us to actually meet up in person. But that oh, wow. was my intention from the jump. And I believe that because I was so strict and stringent about making sure that I enjoyed myself, given the relationship structure that we were in, that's the reason why it was able to grow into more. 
I think if I would have been expecting more or hoping that it would be something greater or trying to force expectations on a person who wasn't at that place, I would have gotten frustrated and gotten rid of him years ago. That's interesting. I think a lot of people project things on and have those expectations and then they get hurt when things don't work out. I think that's true in like almost everything in life. I'm somebody that is, well, I'm a Scorpio. And I think that is very informative of my sexual appetite. And if I am with a guy and I know it's going to be sex, just sex, it is just sex. Like it's very, Mm -hmm. I'm somebody that while I am getting attached to somebody, it's still a very sexual relationship. I am somebody that really likes a chase. Oh, good to know. And if I do really like somebody, they're going to work very hard because so much of my, of what I like and like what excites me, especially in the early on of a relationship that I want to be a relationship that I know that this is somebody that I, you know, I could be with. Cause I'm also somebody that gets into very long-term relationships, but yeah, at the beginning of it, there's a real chase that happens. And, and I don't want to call it playing around or like playing a game, but maybe it is. Could you maybe break this down for me? Am I just a game player or am I, do I like the tease? There's nothing wrong with games. You know, I I think that people often have this like idea that life gets to be simple and automatic and we can just behave authentically as we feel. It doesn't exist anywhere, nor do I think that's the healthiest thing. I think we have to play games, even when it comes to, for example, our diet, right? Mm. We can't just go based on what our desires are because we'd be eating ice cream and sea salt popcorn, which is sitting in front of me right now. Why is that on my table for breakfast? I don't know. That sounds but delish. <laughs> we have to, I play a lot of games with myself when it comes to my diet, right? Like here's where I can and can't eat, or like I have to pre-cut apples to make sure I, I go with that. So that to be said, everywhere in life, you have to set up structures and boundaries because discipline is important for the win. So mm. that's the same thing when it comes to relationships, like discipline for the win. And that essentially means knowing yourself and then being honest about what you need and setting parameters that you can only always show up as the best version of you. I think that's the game in relationships. It's not necessarily about winning somebody else over. It's setting the circumstances that you can enter into it and be like, I love that version of Christine. And if you know that the structure for you that makes you feel most alive and most connected and your most fun version of the relationship is when you feel like you were won over, like the person had to pursue you, then do that. And I think that it's nothing wrong with being honest about that. Like saying, these are the conditions that allow me to be the best romantic partner. And when someone does this for me, I can be better for them. What's a good way that you could help somebody have that objective opinion about themselves? Because because so many times we fall into the trap of talking to other people about it, talking to our girlfriends or our guy friends, and through them forming our own opinions on ourselves. Like, whereas, oh, I, I'm being bad or I'm just playing games because I like to chase. Whereas, no, there is something that's much more primitive about it for me, that my, my intentions are good. This is just how I like to go about them. But that could be so distorted through the people that I'm talking about. And and I guess what I'm asking is, how do you encourage people to have that honest conversation with themselves? I think there's something better than having like, for example, on my turn on trigger quiz, cat and mouse is one of the responses. So turn on trigger quiz. Tell me about this. Yes. So it's essentially like I was uh, like the five love languages. Like it's based on that idea that not everybody receives love the exact same way. And so the problem with relationships often is that I'm speaking to you how I would want to be spoken to. And I can't go to Italy and speak English because I'm like, I want to speak English. The person's not going to understand me. 
So when it comes to turning people on, we often do what we would want to do to make ourselves get turned on. And the other person is like, that does nothing for me. Mm -hmm. So the turn on triggers would be environmental. They would be direct language, um, which is desire. Just again, that's what I like, like the, the forceful, like take off your clothes language. Then there is cat and mouse. That's the person who wants the chase. They want it to be a game. It can't just be like a given that we're going to have sex. And that's really important for you to know in a long-term relationship where access to sex becomes a lot less guarded. You still need your partner to fiend that same energy that you had in the beginning. And so role play might be a really big part of what works for you once you're married to somebody for 40 years or whatever. And then there's negotiator, there's visual. I mean, those are people who like want to see the lingerie, like they see something they like and they want to put it in their mouth. They're basically like large babies. And then there's <laughs> sapiosexuals and those are mental people where it's like, if we don't have an incredible conversation first, there's no way I'm going to even have the inclination to be open uh, downstairs. So I think, again, when you do these quizzes or you do activities or you go to therapy and you're given language to describe exactly how you feel, that does two things for you. One, it gives you this like, wow, I'm not alone feeling. And to your point, this is a taboo topic still. And so in a world where we have very limited conversations around intimacy, a lot of us feel like if we don't like doggy style on Friday nights and missionary Monday through Thursday, there's something wrong with us. Like we're mm -hmm. weirdos. So given the space to be like, Christine, like there's a word for that. And when you're like, there's a word for it, you're like, oh, there's others like me. Like, it's not like I'm a uniquely terrible individual who has these weird desires. Like this is normal. That I think is really important. And two, it gives you directive knowledge to, in, to explain to somebody else. There's a word that I love, which is called tacit knowledge. And tacit knowledge is something that you just know intuitively, but you may not have a word for it. Hmm. So you might really know how to get yourself off. You have a tacit knowledge. You're an expert in that. But if I asked you to write it down on a piece of paper, as if it's like a to-do list, you may not have the words to describe what those things are. So that's why you need structured knowledge to match with your tacit knowledge. So that actually becomes tangible and usable out there in the world. Do you offer these quizzes? I do. I mean, I have this quiz. It's on the game of desire. I actually have, a, that's my book, but I have a tab and I think I have like four or five quizzes. I love quizzes. I'm a really big fan, yeah. I'm a big fan of quizzes and activities because you're like, that gives somebody that aha moment of like, ah, oh, that's so me. Like, you know, you mm -hmm. describe yourself as a Scorpio, that sensation that you get when you read about your sign and you feel like seen in that moment that has to exist. I think too, for sex and relationships. What are some activities that you, that you love to suggest to people? I have a really, really good one. Um, I have a how to love me guide where in essence, it's like three pages. That is everything that someone needs to know to make you work effectively in a relationship. And I describe it like when you go to Ikea, you know how you get like two manuals when you buy something like one is that like book that you're never going to read. Mm -hmm. And the other one is that like piece of paper. That's like a visual drawing of like A to B, C to D. If you go to the game slash workbook, there's a two to three hour workbook that it's a lot of writing and a lot of quizzes and a lot of reflection, but you're supposed to take that and then turn it into a how to love me guide. I don't offer the guide for free. That's because I do courses and workshops. That's something that I do with when I work with people, but the workbook is definitely free for everybody. I want to ask you one more question before we get into this little game that I like to play at the end, but what advice would you give to somebody who wants to try sexy intimates, but is nervous and hasn't really done it before? Oh, I mean, go on a website, go on Pinterest, go on savagefenty.com and just look, 
look and see yourself and your body type, see what works on different people. You don't have to buy to try anymore, right? Mm -hmm. Like you can just really just gain inspiration from other people and then find what works for you. I think also I say the same thing with sex toys. People have a really outdated perception of Mm -hmm. what the intimacy industry looks like. Like, oh, it's all this one type of lingerie or it's all this one type of dildo. And you're like, then you start looking, you're like, they come in rose gold. Like I had (laughs) no idea. Like things are really updated. So there's so many options out there. And if you feel betrayed by the idea of lingerie because you went to Hustler in 2004 and everything cheesy, I want to let you know that like times have changed and there's tons of incredible sites and there's people just like you who were turned off by traditional intimate wear and made something way cooler, way more chic, way more body positive. So find that and start filling yourself up with inspiration. And when you feel like that's my color, that's my cut, that's going to make me feel great. Make a purchase. With your incredible knowledge of sex and intimacy How has that informed your own relationship with intimate apparel? Oh my goodness. I like, um, it's, I definitely need it. And I think the place I'm at right now is I'm still breastfeeding. So Mm -hmm. if I put on a sexy bra, it has to come off in the nighttime because I have to wake up to breastfeed. And then like, I also wear, it's a big to do. So I'm kind of in this space right now of like, I put on lingerie for like, it's almost like a uniform. So if I'm doing something, like if I'm about to try to seduce somebody or if I'm about to take a picture, but I put it on for that occasion and I take it off. I can't wait to get to a place where it's just like my secret between me and me that's underneath my clothes all day long. That will probably come when I finish breastfeeding, but it makes a very big difference for me when I know I have a a vibrator necklace and people are like, why do you wear that? Like, what is the point? Isn't that like unsanitary? (laughs) Well, one, I wipe it. So it's fine. But two, I wear it because it's like, it's like a tongue in cheek thing for me. Like nobody else knows what it is. They think it's like just a vial or just like a pendant. And I'm like, no, this is a vibrator. So when I'm wearing a matching bra underwear, it's like this, it's like I'm wearing a Superman costume underneath my clothes. And I love that feeling. That's so awesome. I love that people are like, is it unsanitary? No, I'll just lick it. It's fine. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) What do you do with everything else? But that's funny. Describe this vibrator necklace. Where did you get it? Oh, if you don't have one, you should like, they're by Crave. They come in gold, rose gold or silver. It's a beautiful chain. And then it's got a pendant. that's probably about three inches in length. And then the circumference of it is like a pencil. And it's just a beautiful thing that hangs there. And only people who know, know. There's like a button on the back that you can press and it's a four speed vibrator. But the only people who are ever going to approach me, like you're wearing a sex toy are people who are like, oh, I saw that in Grammar Magazine. You're wearing a vibrator. I'm like, I know. And it's like so, a secret society. I it's love a secret it. society. <laughs> it's Fight Club. That's very cool. It's time for our closing segment. Let's keep it brief. I'm going to name a date or an event, and I want you to tell me what you would wear underneath to make yourself feel powerful. Okay. You have to play too. Okay, fine. Okay. So uh, the baby's at your mom or your aunt's house or your brother-in-law, and you and your guy are going to go out for the night. Oh, underneath it all. Mm -hmm. My husband really likes, I'm trying to think, because his preferred lingerie is like, you know, the one that's got like the spaghetti straps. That's like, un- just, it's like a mini dress. Yeah. So he really into the mini dress, which doesn't really fit that well underneath clothes. So I would go with, I'm gonna go with full lace, full fishnet. I think like a little peak of that, he would know like what time it is. And like, that would probably reveal itself at some point. So I would go full fishnet. 
That's super you? hot. I would go thigh high. I would do some thigh high, some sheer stocking with a lace top. And my boyfriend's very into like fabric and like quality. So I would definitely wear something that was feminine enough, like lace, very lacy, black, something Ooh. very black, lace, matching bra and underwear with some thigh highs with like lace at the top of it. I'm coming. I'm coming over to this like date. It. I'm okay. into it. All right. You're going to be on camera hosting and filming all day. Oh, definitely a matching set and seamless mm-hmm. because seams underneath clothes is not cute. But if it's like a, I have a really great bra that's like super cleavagey, that's black. And then that with like a seamless black thong, that would be it. Yeah. Same seamless commando. And then very, very lightweight, but push up bra to wear under a dress that matches to maybe something flesh toned. That's what I would wear. And then same thing, red carpet or premiere. I mean, that's the same thing. It's usually there's tape involved somewhere. (laughs) Nothing really fits right. I mean, I've worn like moleskin on the top of my vagina because if the sides of my legs are shown in like a dress and you can't wear like underwear because you can't show the sides of it. Like, so you just, I literally just have worn a sticker on my vagina before. Oh my goodness. (laughs) I got to buy the sticker. Um, Taking the sticker off sucks. (laughs) Oh, I can imagine. I can imagine taking boob tape off sometimes sucks. <gasps> yeah, it does. I, I think I'm going to go with what you said. Like in those cases where the clothes is the focal point, the underwear really has to be like a supporting cast member. Mm-hmm. So it just has to get in where it can fit in. Well said. Okay. You're on your period. You feel bloated, but you have to go out. Oh, I mean, I use D- the diva cup. So I don't oh. ever really have to have this problem. I love the cup. The cup is my friend. So I'd probably go commando and then wear a really great bra and have the cup in. That's good advice. I would wear like a thicker pair of underwear. I might wear a panty liner on top of a tam, like underneath the tampon, just in case. I should really try the Thinks. I haven't tried the Thinks yet. Oh, I have the Thinks. They're great. Yeah. Yeah, those are great. They have workout apparel too, which is really cute. Yeah. Okay. And last one, you're just running errands, but you want to feel special. That's what I probably would do. I have a really great like short set suit. So I just got this one from Fenty and it's like a really pretty high-waisted short set and then Mm. like a comfortable bra. So I feel like I could wear that and then throw on a pair of jean shorts over it. And then maybe even just like a a shirt that's like buttoned down so you can see a bit of the bra. So I, I feel like something that I can just take off and I know I'm going to come home and I can wear that thing around the house and still feel cute. That's cute. What comes to my mind is this mesh bra and thong set from Cosabella, but I would like it in like a color, like a vibrant color. Nine times out of 10, I'm in like a flesh tone or black, but I realized that I feel a little sexier when it's a certain color, like a, like a purple or like a magenta or something. Mm-hmm. Don't know what that never thought until I put it on. I was like, oh, wait, like I really like the way this looks and it makes me look tanner. Yes. <laughs> that's, my, that's my input. Well, Shan, it, is, it was so awesome and informative to talk with you today. Could you please tell us where my listeners can find you and take these quizzes and read about everything that you have to offer? Let me just say that my book, The Game of Desire, which to this day is the most incredible thing that I've done in my life, other than have a baby, but uh, it was a really great thing that I got to put out there in the world. And then all the quizzes that I'm talking about are actually on thegameofdesire.com. Great. Well, thanks so much for coming on Half Naked. It was such a pleasure to talk to you.
I'm sorry that I'm fully clothed. Thank you for having me. (laughs) I hope you enjoyed this episode and got something great out of it. You know, when talking about sex and intimacy and um, especially single people hooking up over the summer, it was really important to me that we talked about the power to say no. You know, if you're a woman or a person who's in a position where you feel like you owe your body to someone, I'm here to tell you that you don't. And it was really important for me to say that. Please check out Shan's YouTube, Instagram, and website for courses and workshops. And as always, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. I hope you enjoyed listening. And until next time, stay cheeky, my friends.